0: Hey heroes, this is Angela, your certified brass player.
1: And this is Darian, your resident string player. And today we have with us guest co-host. Bella, I am a creative professional and a cellist. And this is Hero Talk, where we talk about real life and real women in music. Okay,
0: let's get started.
1: Bella, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are you? (laughs) Hey, (laughs) Bella.
1: We're excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Yay. (laughs) I I can tell you're a little like, oh, gosh, what am I doing? (laughs) Just a little. Well, welcome to Hero Talk. And for anyone who doesn't know, this is our first time having another hero director on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Bella is our artistic director.
2: I am. And (laughs) I do a lot of the immersive design that you've seen in our recital and stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, if you watched our live stream, we played some pieces by female composers for our quartet arrangements and we did Bella did immersive design and interactive light displays and everything it was really cool. Yeah, it was she really also cool. designed our t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Shout out about our merch if anyone wants to check out those t-shirts on our website. Yeah, they're pretty great <laughs> well, I'm biased, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she also's done a lot of our like artwork on our Instagram and our yeah. social media
0: mm-hmm.
1: and our website i know and bella (laughs) besides being a badass cellist she's like super artistic and we're really glad that you're on our team ah say more (laughs) (laughs) so tell us first off just like a little bit about yourself so people understand like why you joined hero what got you interested in joining the cause and just a little so people get to know you since they know me and angela so well already
2: yeah so um I'm at FSU in my master's, obviously, that's why I'm here right now. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, I would classify myself as a new music cellist, new music, musician, um, also creative professional. I do a lot of artistic work and my goal is really to like make music more accessible to more people, get more people interested in it. And I think that one of the best ways to do that is through multimedia sensory things so that mm. everyone can have more to experience than just auditory because not everybody can hear. So that's true. There's lots of different people in the world and I want to try and like get everybody involved if possible. So I want to combine stuff and that's kind of how I've found a lot of the new music that I listen to and play and that I am advocating. And um, one of the holes in new music in all music is women, uh, a lot of more diverse uh, composers, uh, and that includes women, uh, do not get performed a whole lot or studied as much. And I wanted to try and break that mold. And Mm -hmm. I've made it kind of a mission of mine to try and play as much of the female composer music as possible, as well as just not playing music from the canon.
1: (laughs) That is true. Fun fact, uh, Bella was the first person I asked to help out with Hero. I don't think many people know that but I was like really nervous to ask you because I didn't know you that well but I was talking to people they're like oh yeah she's like helped put a conference together she's really cool awesome tell uh, I just remember I walked up to you after like orchestra rehearsal do you remember this I do and it. I was like hi I have this idea <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I believe
2: you said hi I'm Darian I don't know if you know me and then I was oh, like well. I mean I saw you across the
1: orchestra yeah you're there <laughs> oh. yeah and I was like would you be interested in helping out with this idea and I was so happy you joined on board and then it just like spiraled and we got more rolling. people and yeah. now yeah. look where we're at I, I, know, I don't had regret no your choice. idea this
2: is what we were going to be doing. When you said you wanted to do like a little thing, I was like, oh, so we'll just do some stuff together. Like maybe have some concerts that are special. Yes. Yeah. And you you knew about my mirrors of design and you were like, oh, we could do some stuff with that. It'd be so cool. And now we're like,
1: yeah, as soon as you told, told me about off a off thing, that, <laughs> as soon as you told me that, I was like, I'm so game. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it really did uh, just spiral into a bigger thing. Hopefully you don't regret your choice, because I'm so glad you're here, and I think we're doing awesome stuff together. Um, And I'm glad everyone on on talk gets to meet you now, too. Um, And if you want to learn more, you can always visit her bio and all of the director's bios on our website at www.her-omusic.com. But now the main reason besides how much we love you bella the reason she's here is he talking
0: about bella yes how great
1: she is. honestly though this can't be the
2: bella episode i know we want
1: that but we have
2: to <laughs> <laughs> this is also a grade for me no i know True. yeah
1: that's what um we're getting to so this is a part of our learning about new composers mini series that we're doing for Dr. Rachel Lumsden's class. We heard Darcy write last week. And Bella also happens to be in this class, uh, Analysis of Masterworks by Female Composers. Mm-hmm. Um, she's another one of the people who signed up to talk on the podcast about a female composer and analysis of a piece for her final grade. And she just also happens to be a part of the hero team. So okay. tell us about the composer you're gonna be educating all of us about today.
2: All right, so the composer who composed this piece that I will be introducing to you guys called Sweet For Cello, which is a very original name, as we all know, her name is Juisa. Uh, It's spelled J-U-R-I and then S-E-O. And in her bio on her website and everything, she does have at the bottom the uh, North American Pronunciation Help, which says J-E-W-R-I-S-U-H. And I have to say, I was very happy to find that because oh, <laughs> yeah. I was so worried I would pronounce it wrong. And I kind of was, and now I can pronounce it right all the time, Juisa. And this piece that I am, I've am, i been actually playing, I'm it's programmed for my recital that I'm doing next semester, and I absolutely have fallen in love with this piece. But I went to the Cortona New Music Sessions this last summer. It's typically held in Cortona, Italy, but because of COVID and all the other fun stuff in the world, mm-hmm. they decided not to do it there, understandably. So instead, they hosted it here at FSU. And luckily, because they did that, I was able to attend because it's kind of hard to get all the way out to Italy. And expensive. And expensive, (laughs) and I was able to get a bigger discount because I live in Tallahassee. So it was a really great uh, experience for me. Definitely like once in a lifetime, most likely. And I was so inspired by all the people there. Everybody was playing such amazing and interesting new music by different composers that I had never heard of. All these new people, and I was like, before this, I kind of, you know, prided myself on knowing a lot of different composers and being able to be like, oh yes, I know that composer <laughs> for everything. And here, I was, my eyes were opened to so many people I had never heard of, and it was amazing. And um, it was just really cool. When we did this competition, I brought a couple pieces in by composers that, uh, female composers as well. And um, somebody, another cellist uh, beat me with this piece. And I was, first I was like, oh, I'm so mad that I, <laughs> I lost. And then I heard him playing it and I was like, whoa. So it was like that a concerto competition t- sort of thing? It was a new music competition. Nice. Um, unaccompanied, that's how, you know, they usually go. But he played this piece and it was just abs just the first and the fifth movement and it was absolutely amazing and i sat there and i was like yep i lost i mean oh. just like and it wasn't that my piece that i played wasn't you know good and it wasn't that i performed badly i i did a great performance his performance was good too but the piece was just Stellar. I don't know how else to explain it. I was in love with it, infatuated. All these really cool techniques, um, extended techniques that were employed, and just, you know, making the cello ring and have this beautiful uh, resonancy and tone that Bach also utilized. But I think that. He didn't quite, uh, he didn't know what he could have done. And this Bach. was like, yeah, this was <laughs> everything else that the cello can be and more. Yeah. So it was just amazing. Um, there's a lot of sounds and colors. And it was, uh, the piece was, you know, after hearing it, I was like, this is right up my alley. I wanna learn this. There's so many new techniques, I have to. And I also, uh, I love Scortatura, uh tuning one of the strings differently for those who might not know uh, and the, so the trumpet player yeah the tr- okay. d- d- in case you didn't know uh so i t- for this piece you tune the c to a b so it goes lower and that creates more resonance the cello yeah. actually is uh, loves that tuning um everything will ring more so i um i loved that i wanted to do that and i just decided i had to play this piece so i brought it to my lessons and i was like hey professor Sauer, i'm gonna play this and he looked at it and he goes really <laughs> cuz it, it's not an easy piece by any means it's definitely um it's definitely doable and attainable but it looks kind of scary mm-hmm. because of the way that it sits on the page she mm-hmm. because of the scoritura and everything she has the bottom line so it's got piano staff the top line is the sounding pitch and then the bottom line is the pitch you're playing oh, and how it feels yeah so um I wanted to play the piece and I already had it like on the docket. It was going to happen. I was learning it over the summer a little bit. And then um, once I got into the class for the masterworks uh, composers, female composers, she said that we were going to have to do an analysis at the end of the year. And I was like, yep, this is it. I have decided (laughs) I'm doing that. I'm I'm already doing this piece. I'm going to do something crazy with it. So then I that was kind of where I found the piece and decided to bring it to the class.
1: Did you ask that other cellist how he discovered this piece by Ju-Risa?
2: Um, he uh, knew people who knew her. So th- it was oh, kind of one wow. of those, like, people knew her, so people kind of found it that way. That's how a lot of new music c- tends to circulate. Mm. You know somebody who knows somebody, and they have this piece that's really cool, and then someone asks you to do it, or you're like, oh, I'm going to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little about Ju-Risa. Um, so she
2: was born in 1918, so she's, you know, on the younger end of composers of today's world. Um, uh, she's born in South Korea, and now she's um, living in America, so she's a Korean-American composer. And she's also a pianist. She's based in Princeton, New Jersey. She's actually you know, the uh, associate professor of music at Princeton University. Wow. Pretty cool, yeah. She got her Bachelor of Music um, at Yonsei University in Seoul. She also attended the Academia National di Santa Cecilia in Rome, and she holds a DMA from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. So quite the pedigree. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Yes. Right now she's living in Lawrenceville, which is just outside of Princeton, and she's with her husband, Mark Eckenberger, who is a percussionist.
0: Cool. How would you describe some of her works and her genre?
2: so her genre is i would say uh what she's doing is she's merging a lot of aspects of like the past centuries music where there's the expended temporal palette an orthodox approach to structure and then she's merging that with her deep love of functional tonality and counterpoint and classical form she kind of says that on her website and you can just really feel it in the cello suite that she wrote a lot of her other music too um she likes to explore the fast dynamics and tempo changing where everything's just kind of moving really fluidly and um, doesn't have like a whole lot of time to sit in one spot. Mm-hmm. And she likes the she likes to explore opposites too, um, like serious and humorous, lyrical, violent, and then tranquil and obsessive.
1: So very emotional.
2: Very emotional, yeah. It's easy to get really invested in her pieces mm-hmm. as a listener and as a performer. Um, yeah, she's got like... 25 compositions that I found listed on her website. So I'm sure there's more, but those range from like solos to chamber works, there's electronics, various instrumentations. Um, one that I saw that was really cute was called Panori, and it's for children's piano for four hands. Oh. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's cute. a lessons type of thing. She has a lot of like etudes for kids, it looks like, or for students and yeah. which makes sense. as so she's, you know, professor at a college True. and then yeah. she has quite a few, uh, string pieces or chamber groups with like winds as well. And then of course, she's got quite a bit of piano and percussion.
1: Any violin stuff? There's <laughs> lots of
2: violin stuff. Yeah. yeah. Actually, she's got um, a violin. I th- I think it's a solo, but it might have like other stuff with it. But it's called like Toy Box, and it's premiering in a couple weeks.
1: Oh. It's pretty cool.
2: If you look at her website, you'll find all of her events and everything, and you can go and search for that.
1: We'll have to put that in our podcast notes for anyone who's looking for some new music to play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, any what? Have she won any like notable awards that anyone might know about?
2: She has. So. I mean, just to name a couple of those little awards, Guggenheim Fellowship. Mm. Big one. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, She also got the Kozuveski Commission from the Library of Congress, which is a big deal, as well Mm -hmm. as the Goddard Liebertson Fellowship. That's like $15,000. It was endowed in 1978 by CBS Foundation for a mid-career composer of exceptional gifts, which I believe she fits that very well. And then um, the Andrew Imbria Award, which was $10,000 for a composer of demonstrated artistic merit in mid-career, which I also think she has demonstrated artistic merit in her
1: mid-career. Not biased at all. <laughs> Not biased at all. Um,
2: those are from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. And then there's a few other awards. She's won from like Urbana-Champaign and uh, Copeland House Residency. That's pretty cool. As well as the a fellowship from Tanglewood. Uh, she's also been commissioned to compose for Tanglewood and oh, then nice. for the Goeth Institute, Barlow Endowment, Film Foundation. Um, she's got two albums, I believe, that are her you know albums on her website. Those are the only two that she has listed. So if there's others, mm-hmm. I don't know. But that's the uh, Raspiri, which is where the suite comes from, and then also um, mostly piano. And those were released by Enova Recording.
1: And the album is called mostly piano.
2: Mostly piano. She is a <laughs> pianist, and she does have quite a few piano pieces that she makes reading. sense. Yeah,
1: that. yeah. pretty um, cool. That's that's really cool. Yeah, when she her for her piano
2: stuff, stuff, she does talk a lot about how she tries to reinvent the piano and create limitless potential, even though the instrument has so many limitations yeah, to wow. the physical design. Yeah, a lot of her ideas about creating a hybrid space for music that is no longer horizontal is With like Mozart and Beethoven, it's really interesting. You can really see the approach in all of her compositions too. She states in her biography that her goal is to create music that loves, that makes a positive change in the world, however small, through the people who are willing to listen. Wow, she's kind of cool.
1: I really like that. And didn't she say that there's not much known about her though? Earlier before we recorded.
2: Yeah, that. The information is pretty much all that I have, uh, everything I just told you, because her website has that biography, and that's in the About section. Mm -hmm. There's that biography that's long, and then there's a shortened version, and then there's the biography in Korean, and that's about it, and that biography is all that's used on all of the websites for every place that has a biography of her. There's no different one, yeah.
1: Does she ever get interviewed or anything like that that you know of?
2: Um... I mean, yes, she works at Princeton. <laughs> <laughs> true. So. That is true.
1: So I'm assuming that she's not like on socials or anything like that heavily. She has an Instagram. She has an Instagram, oh, yeah. Okay. It's just
2: uh, her
1: biography is kind of, that biography is the biography. Right, yeah. <laughs> it is unchanged. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, what's the name of the piece that you're going to be telling us about today? and Sweet for Cello. So uh, it was
2: premiered June 30th, 2018 in Taipi Cultural Center of New York, New York. And that was performed by cellist uh, Chris Irvine. Uh, The suite is dedicated to cellist Joanne Wong. And then she actually did the professional recording of the piece, which took place September 6th, 2018. And that was at Princeton. Very nice. Yes. I couldn't find a whole lot of information about the composition of the piece. I searched very long and hard. She has like a little blurb like... Where you buy the piece, which is where I went to purchase the piece, Mm -hmm. and um, when you find it there, it says stuff like you know what it's just the program notes. It doesn't say I wrote this piece in this time of my life. It took me two years, so none of that Mm -hmm. is really. uh, Mm -hmm. I haven't found any of that.
1: No, did you find the recordings from the cellist, Joanne Wong? Mm -hmm. Yes, I actually played with her one time. Oh, (laughs) I know it was cool. So I'm assuming you know these famous cellist quite well as a, as a cellist yourself. Obviously, obviously. <laughs> so tell us about like the program notes since you said she actually wrote program notes in the, in the yes. score. Yes, so
2: the program notes is some of the evidence that I use for my thesis and I'll just real quick read you my thesis so that you know what we're dealing with here, All right, the professional stuff. While the most famous cello suite composed by J.S. Bach is echoed in a contemporary interpretation it is simultaneously abandoned in the name of advancement in recess ju- ju- Suite for Cello. So it uses extended technique embedded in counterpoint moments of tonality that evolve into atonality along with intertextuality through embodiment, specifically relating to the fourth Bach suite to show the evolution of Bach's simple Baroque compositions morphing into something exciting and fresh. And the program note which is, you know, first piece of evidence. Yep. I don't know if this is cheating or not, but you know, she <laughs> says that this is what her idea was. I just wanted to have a real thing about it though. Yeah. Suite for Cello is a five-movement work that explores the rich sound palette of the modern cello within the framework of an antiquated formal language. The allusions to and allusions of JS Bach's six cello suites serve not only as an acknowledgement of influence, but also as an expression of historical and psychological distance. I wanted to capture the warmth and intimacy that made me fall in love with box suites while at the same time exploring effective intimacy that sorry effective extremes the fragile the violent the obsessive that were perhaps unavailable to him writing as he did within the pristine conventions of the 18th century instrumental dance music in my suite the lowest string of the cello is tuned down by a semitone plus eight cents to be precise (laughs) the scordatura tuning provides a rich array of harmonics that when juxtaposed with the other correctly tuned strings produce subtle clashes The bottom two strings define two tonal centers, which are often used simultaneously, B and G. The clashing of both tones in the tonal centers creates the feeling of being pulled in different directions. And when the two keys return from the harmonic digressions, we face the distinctly modern problem of returning to two different places at once.
0: Yeah, how would you differentiate Bach and her writing styles in this piece?
2: So... There's quite a bit of, like, difference, obviously. We've got the fact that her music is quite a bit contemporary sounding. It's new music. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful. I love new music. Something that she employs a lot is the beauty of extended techniques, which is one of the things I love the most about the piece. So the most of, I think all of the movements, yeah, all of the movements utilize harmonics, and harmonics are when you're not, pressing down on the string to get a natural note where you have that like solid pitch what you're getting is more of an airy effect and it's halving the string or quartering like it's dividing the string into its um most resonant and pure like form of uh sound so it's got a different quality of sound and it's absolutely beautiful and the way she uses it's really
1: cool and now for like a future trivia i can ask you what a harmonic is now angela oh i know we have harmonics
0: i've played guitar yeah
2: (laughs) but i i actually have my cello here and i Mm -hmm. would love to demonstrate the difference between the harmonic and the natural the natural sound
1: yeah all right so you're gonna show our listeners what the harmonics sound like then yes so this is a natural pitch this is what the sound is gonna be like
2: all right it's very clear and then the harmonic is much more airy
1: very familiar with that sound don't chalice tune with harmonics sometimes
2: we do it helps us to know how the tuning is (laughs) um they will really wobble a lot more when they're out of tune more than normal notes will. the natural notes so she uses a lot of that, those harmonics, especially in that first movement and the second movement, which is where I draw a lot of the comparisons from Bach mm-hmm. in my thesis. Nice. So how did you analyze this piece? So I chose a very different form of analysis than normal. I did not use like Schenkerian formal analysis, which was what we really worked on in our class. The... Um, female masterworks composition analysis class, what we did was we learned different ways to do analysis besides that normal string analysis, formal analysis. So I really wanted to challenge myself and find a very different way to analyze this piece that would be more accessible to cellists and in a way kind of more um just idiomatic for the cellist for mm-hmm. a
1: modern cellist today a female cellist like if someone was going to play the piece or something
2: yeah if someone was going to play the piece i feel like this would be more useful than looking at 51512 <laughs> <five, laughs> yeah so yeah. i um this that was my goal was to find a new way and I think I did. I did a lot with intertextuality uh, between the two texts. So, like comparing both of them, uh, comparing the Sa to Bach. And I chose the fourth suite because I felt like it was the most similar to the first movement, and the Sarah Bond of that suite was really similar to the second movement, and the bowing and everything. So, with that, for the intertextuality, there's a lot of really obvious similarities, like the There's a lot of, you know, Baroque-style counterpoint that's happening, obviously, so it does break a lot of the rules um, with some dissonant tonality, you know, that G and B. She's always tonicizing both of those notes, whereas Bach is really just kind of, like, tonicizing E-flat at the beginning, and he's, like, beating that note to death, (laughs) which... There's a reason E-flat's a notoriously dead note on the cello. It does not ring. I don't know why Bach was like, this is the note. Because <laughs> it's funny. like, yeah. yeah, to make it, um, to make that note really.
0: Well, a lot of pieces were written in E-flat, you know?
2: This is true. However, I wish that he was like, this is a cello and it's not going to sound very, super great. Let's yeah. not do that. But he did it anyway and we can't go back. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, true. <laughs> so he picked E-flat and you have to strike that quite a few times in order to get that, like, you know, to have it continuously playing throughout for the drone effect that he was trying to get. And Sud was like, you know what, I'm going to really have there be like resonance drones. So G and B are going to really ring, especially because of the tuning. When you have those open strings, they're vibrating everything. So Mm -hmm. that is going to just like be there. You don't have to keep striking it consistently, which is really cool. And she wrote, you know she obviously talked to cellists and knew what was going on to write this piece it's so idiomatic so she does break some of those rules and strays from the typical counterpoint it's not as straightforward as Bach but you can see the comparison and I will kind of I'm going to play the two of those so that you can hear them yeah so this is the prelude to the suite four from Bach it's just like a couple of little measures
3: compare <laughs> <laughs>
1: listening to the Bach and now listening to that it has very like similar like bowings yeah. and phrase structure how would you describe other similarities
2: yeah so the melodic contour and the contrary motion that's happening it's very similar you can see you're like ah oh, she's like definitely like echoing that and yeah it's totally um when she said illusion and illusion to the Bach you can see exactly what she's talking about it feels like very similar too,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um, even though the drone effect isn't the same, I think that it is very comparable. Bach is using that E flat, like I said. You have to, he has to keep on, you know, writing in the, you know, keep hitting it because it's dying. So mm-hmm. to have it sustained through the phrase, um, the phrases are a little bit shorter, and then you're hitting that note again. And because she's done the G and the B, it's almost like she's saying this is how it can be now like mm-hmm. this is the same idea but yeah. now i've made it better
1: like yeah. how music has evolved exactly
2: i feel very much like you i really can think, see that
1: do you really think she thinks it's better than box
2: i mean in her <laughs> program i think it's better than box but oh, oh, hot <laughs> i'm so sorry i love new music and um i don't know if i would say it's better than box i feel like definitely she's doing what bach would have done if he knew Mm-hmm. that cello, if at that time broke cellos they were made with gut strings you couldn't really do harmonics yeah and it just didn't wasn't the same now with these metal strings and the ability to have them so tight and the tuning there's these really cool harmonics that are happening in overtone series and at that point you couldn't do it yeah and i think that if bach could he would have yeah, utilized that because yeah. mm-hmm. we wouldn't
0: have her piece if it wouldn't have bach you know so, exactly
2: you know. i'm not saying that it's better i'm saying it's the next step
0: yeah. Oh,
1: I like that thought process. Yeah. But thinking about as someone who's played it, do you think it's smart to have already studied the cello box suites before taking on this new music?
2: I'm going to be 100%. I don't think that there's a way to do the whole cello thing, like being a cellist <laughs> without, <laughs> <laughs> um, without having studied the box suites. It's unavoidable. There's not mm-hmm. a teacher who won't teach them. I mean, it's part of every curriculum for cello. I don't know a single person I don't know a single person who is a professional cellist or a new music cellist who hasn't already done Bach. It's, you know, foundational for cello.
1: Yeah. Now I have a challenge.
2: If anyone has never played the
1: Bach cello suits and
2: you're a cellist, please <laughs> tell us. I <laughs> want to meet you and shake your hand. Uh, but
1: do you, uh, do you find yourself at least referencing back to your history of playing the Bach cello suits when you learn it?
2: So, um, this is actually my next like piece of example that I really wanted to oh, share cool. with everybody. So my, um, my cool thing that I did, my analysis, that I think is really interesting, that I am excited about, is embodied intertextuality. So not text to text, but body to body in a way where the way that I play the Bach cello suite is very similar in the way like my choreography, the way I'm moving my arm and the way that I'm leaning into the notes and like phrasing, of course, but like more than phrasing, just the way that it feels to actually make those motions happen is very similar. And you can like feel it within both of the pieces and the Easiest way I think I can in the best like analytical way method is through Boeing to really explain all this. And um, I'll break it down a little further for non-string players who might be listening who just want who don't know all this stuff. <laughs> I'm not adding you. I was <laughs> looking at <laughs> both look at Angela.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I wasn't going to look at you. And then Darian was. So then I felt like I had to, too. But um <laughs> Well, well so Targeted. <laughs> you know what Boeing is though, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boeing is uh going. I've seen it done. Yeah, you go up and you go down. <laughs> yeah, well. and, uh, i watched the Concept
0: Master.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yes, you know exactly what it is. How many so targeted. how many notes can you play on one bow?
0: Like three or four.
2: So <laughs> <laughs> you can do as many as you can fit in one yeah. bow. Okay, but that makes sense. You can also, if you want, do one. Or you can take multiple bows to do one note. Um, basically, it's the direction you're moving the bow and for how many notes and how fast. Um, the tip of the bow is the small pointy end. And then the, the frog. We
1: talked about this. Yeah. That your oh. trivia.
2: Woo. The frog is the end where it's like square and you can tighten it and everything. And that's where you hold it. So up bow is when you're going away from your body and you are going from tip to frog and down bow is when you're going towards your body and you're going frog to tip. If you have like a lot of notes in one bow, the passage is usually like quicker. And if you're just doing like one bow per note, it's gonna be further apart or take longer typically. Uh, This is not law. There are a lot of times when these rules are broken, especially for extended technique. And um, it's just typically that's how it goes. Uh, The way that the bowing happens in a piece affects like everything it affects the timbre the dynamics the core effort yeah. rhythmic integrity intonation choreography the ability how fast you can play the speed yeah i've heard the bow described as the voice the voice yeah and also the emotional connection the perception from others too like that's where you're showing it people listen with their eyes so when you're like th- taking a really long bow you can make it look like you're just like pouring your heart into that note. and if you do a little fast ones, it can look like you're just you know completely like disconnected from it if you're like running away from it or something. In the box suites, it's very subjective. The Boeings are not like they're largely, you know, unknown or don't exist because in the Baroque era they were not universal Boeings. It was kind of like whatever the player wanted to do. And it's still kind of true today. A lot of people or you know, everybody does have um, different abilities. Everybody physically has different abilities. That's something that's really prominent when you're talking about you know, men versus women cellists, like our hands are a lot of times smaller. A lot of times we hold the cello completely differently because we have anatomy that's in the way and it makes (laughs) it some girls in the way. Yeah. You got some (laughs) girls in the way. So then especially if they're big, like it can be difficult to like figure out how to hold the cello. Mm -hmm. And it's sad when it's like you know, last week we had studio class and there's this cellist who's, uh, you know, all the way up into her sophomore year of undergrad and college. And she still hasn't figured out how she wants to hold the cello because no one's told her, you need to put your boobs on top of it.
0: I <laughs> guess you got to tell her, Bella. I did. And then she
2: was like, wait, Really? Is that what, uh, that's why everyone else looks comfortable? And I was like, yes. It's like a bra. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's interesting how, it's something that people don't talk about as much where there's like actual physical differences and how you can play and how things are more difficult for some people. There's some stuff in like a lot of pieces, especially in new music, um, people are a lot more adventurous and f- they'll do a lot of crazy things. And even, you know, back in the day where it's like, all right, so you don't know how this works. You don't know how big my hand is. I can't reach that octave, but yeah. maybe a guy who has a twice as big, um, yeah. yeah, kind of like span. in piano and, and yeah, stuff too. Exactly. And it's, it's one of those things where people will be like, oh, you're not good enough because you can't do it. And it's like, doesn't matter how good I am. I'll never be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yes, uh, I really appreciate that Juy gave the musicians the ability to do what's going to work for their own body and um, every, almost the whole time it says, free bowing, try to ensure maximum resonance. Mm-hmm. So that means do what you want mm-hmm. and the box suites are you know kind of similar. I approach this piece and I assume others who have played this piece approach it the same way or similar um, to a box suite because of the similarities that I mentioned before with the counterpoint and the phrasing and everything and the instructions on the page also. Uh, with the piece so similar to Bach, I used the bowing ideas that I actually used for most of the Bach sweep. Um, for the beginning of the fourth prelude, I've got all separate bows. And it doesn't matter which voice is leading where because um, in the counterpoint where the voices are you know, different, sometimes you'll slur the voices together so that you can hear them or you will connect them through slurs. But at the beginning of this, it's like what you're trying to do is create this long, sustained, like bell-like tone, and it it works for both of them. So that's what I did for both of the pieces. I was like, oh, this looks like Bach. I'm going to do what I did for Bach here. And Mm -hmm. that's what works for me. And if somebody plays Bach differently, I would assume that they would do the way that they're playing Bach. Mm. So for all, for most of the movements of this suite, I used uh, bowings that are super similar to the dances um, from Bach and um, faster and slower and everything. Basically, it feels similar to the when the player's playing it. When I'm employing these bowings, they give me the same sort of feeling in my bodily choreography as I get from the Bach the swooping arm going all the way down to the bottom string and then coming back up all the way so I can get those other notes that are on the upper strings, but trying to make them smooth and close together and have that, like, seamless connection um, with the music until I want it to be silent. Like, that is the same feeling, and it is just kind of, like, uh, deja vu while you're playing it. You're like, oh, this is a thing I've done before, Mm -hmm. I've felt my arm doing this, I feel this in my body, in my fingers, you know, in my left hand as well, going down there, going up here.
1: Do you find yourself playing in Baroque style sometimes, because Bach is obviously a Baroque composer? Yeah, so, no. (laughs) (laughs) no. Well, I assumed so, (laughs) but I was like, you know, no. Well, I,
2: no, because you can't, because this is uh, harmonics, and uh, you have to be, like, really sinking down into yeah, the strings well, to be able to... I, harmonics I know are that. kind of unreliable. So sometimes you will play them and then they yeah. just don't happen because you don't have the perfect placement of the bow. So it's not very similar to the Baroque style. It's just... Um, Maybe in the other movements? In the other movements, um, I definitely... The second movement, yeah, is much more Baroque feeling because of the way that you're slurring the chords together so that you can have the bow be prepared for each one. And, It was interesting because when I decided I was going to compare to the fourth, the fourth suite, I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. I haven't played the fourth suite since my auditions for masters. And that was like two years ago. I know. And I was like, I'm a little worried about this. Will (laughs) I be able to pull this off? Because I had just kind of decided to do that, to actually play it for everybody. I was going to use a recording. And then I was like, no, I need to show. And, um, when I decided that I, it out and I was like, Oh wow, it, it's really, it feels like it's the same. So it felt really comfortable to be doing it because it wasn't like I left it, it's like I was still there. Yeah,
0: do you think practicing this piece has helped that piece become? Yes,
2: yeah. I do. I think it's like you know, anytime you do stuff multiple times, you're yeah. making it easier to do more stuff. So yeah, yeah. You're,
1: you're making it harder by doing the harmonics. Thing like yeah, that. it's
2: harder when you do harmonics. I know I harmonics, was like, Oh, this is so much easier now. I don't have yeah, to Harmonics worry.
1: are hard. I don't. Do cellists do false harmonics like violins do? Yes, and it's worse for us because we have to use our thumb. Oh, no. We're doing this kind of
2: spacing. Well, because it's
1: farther away than on violin, but they suck too. (laughs) Yes, no, they suck for
2: everybody. Unfortunately, they're just, you know, chaos, although they're amazing. I love them. And when they're in pieces, I'm like, this is great. I love this. Not always love playing it, but I always love experiencing it. When they're done right. When they're done right. <laughs> yes. When my yeah. thumb is bloody from them, I'm not always very appreciative, to be <sighs> honest. No.
1: Yeah. So, do you have anything else you want to play for us?
2: Yes. So, I wanted to just kind of demonstrate what I meant by the slurring and yeah. show like how it works uh, doing the, the couple notes together. And I'm going to play the the Sarabon from the fourth suite, and then or not all of it, but some of it, and then a little bit of the the suh, second movement, just to compare those two, yeah. so you can hear that
1: with okay. the and this is a Sarah Bond from Bach yes from the awesome. Bach four-sweep
2: just just there's a lot of slurring and connected in the voices in the counterpoint gotcha yep. all right <laughs> Part of what I really wanted to make sure that you guys can hear, hopefully mm-hmm. you can hear what's happening. I'm setting up a lot of these chords very similarly with the sixteenths or the eighths coming before it. Yeah. We're swooping down into these chords and I'm setting them up very similarly and it feels physically the same.
1: Yeah. And you can almost, if I didn't know that that C string was tuned down to a B, yeah. I, would, I could be like, oh, that's Bach. Yeah. Now, usually it's like, oh, it's Bach. And then you hear dissonant stuff and you're like,
2: whoa. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, The difference we're talking about here is just how I'm slurring these notes together and the slur sounds like this.
3: Compared to...
2: We're slurring into those different chords.
1: <laughs> so I really enjoyed listening to you play this, obviously, but I was thinking, how would you go about helping the audience understand this piece like especially if they're not familiar with classical music or they're not familiar with the Bach cello suites how would you help your audience understand it in a performance setting
2: I think that it doesn't have to be connected to the Bach suites for it to be a successful performance and I don't think that that's like necessary for somebody to enjoy listening to it so I would honestly if they don't know anything about the box suites and they haven't heard music I'd be like you should just listen to this piece it's really cool you're mm-hmm. still gonna like it it's still got so much depth for it like it's a really awesome piece and lots of ways I might do some immersive design to like I don't know, just, just because, because I love immersive design, and, and I <laughs> I like yeah, because I like to have like pictures and colors and things happening with music to make it a better experience. But how do you I don't visualize it, it, it?
1: Putting you on the spot. As I an know. Artist, well, like
2: usually I spend like hours thinking about how I want to make a piece for artwork for it. I think that I visualize it very. It um, hide box face somewhere in there. Yeah, a box <laughs> face or something. <laughs> uh this one's really like organic shapes very um fluid kind of like like a lot of paint that's what i really see is a lot of the paint happening but only for this the first two movements and then after that it changes it's definitely different when we get towards the mm-hmm. the other three the other three are also quite a bit more
1: difficult well, when you play i hope you do immersive design now
2: i really want to we will see if i can figure out how to make that work
1: we did it for my recital i know but it's (laughs) harder when
2: it's like my recital and then i have to find somebody to uh push play and that's true
1: yeah i'll do it i volunteer all right if you really want to so i'm
0: curious you have synesthesia how do you say that yeah
2: i don't know everyone's like i have it i know i have it and i'm like i i I can like associate colors with music but i don't like close my eyes and go brown
0: yeah Okay. So I'm
2: not, I don't know. I, I definitely can, like, visualize things with music, but I don't know if I have synesthesia. That's a very...
1: I feel like you know you know.
2: Yeah, I know, because people are like, oh, I definitely have it. So I'm like, I, since I don't think that, no. I probably don't.
1: Yeah, fair. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to visualize art without having to have synesthesia. Yeah, just the way she talks about it though. True. You think, you know, It's a, it's a deeper know. level than I've heard other people talk Well, she's also extremely creative, let's that be honest. Fair.
2: Thank you. I've had someone <laughs> tell me that, I've ha- that I have it, but I don't think, I don't know, cause it wasn't like somebody who I think should be Telling diagnosing me. others. <laughs> yeah. <fair laughs> so enough. I don't know, I don't know. I haven't actually thought that it's important enough for me to yeah. go actually figure
1: that out. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. All right. <laughs> All right, Some well, let's trivia. move on to trivia. But before we do that, I just want to say we are so glad we have you here today. Thanks, Bella. And we, uh, if you want to reach out to any of us or ask Bella more questions about the piece, uh, since she's on the Hero team, we will easily be able to give her all your questions if you have any. Um, you can find out more information and up-to-date information about Hero events and projects we're doing on our website at he- www.her-omusic.com or on our Instagram where we're posting pretty much daily which is at hero.musicians please reach out to us let us know if you have any questions want to tell us a story want us to talk about something specific and we would love to hear from you and now let's move on to our lovely super fun trivia
0: very nice let's do this it makes me so happy okay angela's asking us
1: today bella you're up all right one all right
0: Who began the new music collective, International Contemporary Ensemble, also known as ICE? ICE. Was it A, Jeffrey Dival, B, Claire Chase?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, why are we laughing? What did I miss? (laughs) She said Jeffrey (laughs) Dival.
0: He says, I. The saxophone
2: uh, professor at FSU. Oh. He definitely (laughs) did not
1: no but
0: ice? he read, yeah he <laughs> <also> <laughs> obviously i don't he know it, the yeah, he like Cortona. sorry it's just funny because no, now you know okay a is not it well <laughs> b claire chase or c marie Andre.
2: marie Andre.
0: that's your answer i think so or wait what was no, b i don't know claire chase
2: claire chase
0: or marie Andre.
2: i know both of those names but i'm not 100 positive now i'm scared i still go with no i go with b b yeah good choice okay
0: Reese Andre is a trumpet player? Yes, he is. Okay.
2: I knew I knew that.
0: Yeah. Claire Chase. <laughs> is well, a got flutist. you got one. Claire Chase is a flutist
2: and I've met her so now I feel bad.
0: Oh, it's okay. <laughs> We're putting you on the spot. It's always hard. All right. This number is scarier. <laughs> Name the double bass player who at the time of her death in 2016 was the longest serving musician in any American orchestra, having held her position in the Atlanta Symphony for 71 years and she died on stage during a performance. Was it? I think I heard this. Story. Yeah. Was it A, Jan Little? B, Ray Brown? Or C, Julia Kent? I think
2: I know,
1: I, but I'm not gonna say. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm actually hearing this for the first time. That's kind of crazy. It's pretty sad, yeah. That's pretty sad. Died on stage. Died happy, maybe. I know. It's because it's, it's a symphony thing, so. That's a dramatic way to go, though.
1: And, um. That concert ended early.
2: Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it didn't. Maybe that was the finale. My gosh, uh, that's dark. Uh, <laughs> I, I just say like you never. I so don't know. Yeah. Moller, no something. Uh I'm <laughs> I am i do not know what it was. Whoa, <laughs> Moller, Uh I'm gonna go with uh, Little.
0: Yeah, Jimmy Little. That's <laughs> right too. I knew it in my head. Yes, Ray really? Brown is a jazz double bass, and Julia Kent is a cello.
2: I knew it wasn't Julia yeah. Kent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know uh, the first one, so. I was like, it must be her.
0: What symphony was it? The Atlanta Symphony.
2: That's kind of close to us. We should probably know about that. (laughs) True.
0: All right. Question number three. The word orchestra derives from a Greek phrase meaning A, dancing around, B, dancing place, C, dancing queen.
2: I believe it would be dancing around actually
0: dancing place dancing place wow
1: yes. <laughs> that's cute yeah that's <laughs> well you that. got two out of three It's pretty good that's Very pretty strong good. yeah <laughs> all right darian. i gotta get
0: all of them right to beat you, you Do. <laughs> i'm kind of helping you out on these not gonna lie um <laughs> uh-huh. like i helped you out with number one but <laughs> you did help me out with number <laughs> one thank you um uh, number one darian who was the first jazz female instrumentalist to be recorded she was a part of albert's wins gut bucket five was i don't it? even know what that is Gosh, you got it you got it you got <laughs> it was it a dolly jones b aretha franklin c wayne shorter if i know it do i get a point you can if she, she'll have to try first okay okay, yeah, okay. you
1: okay. can try I, I, I only know one of those names okay Which is aretha franklin <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> i thought <laughs> i was helping you i was like i don't know those other she sh- just
2: picked it right she picked aretha franklin <laughs> yeah is that your answer
1: no that <laughs> that's why you're <laughs> looking at me i'll go with a the dolly jones yes oh that yeah. was by
0: default i yeah. totally guessed
1: i dolly was like I, i'm like i doubt it's aretha franklin No, nope.
0: dolly jones is a trumpet player aretha franklin's vocalist and yeah. wayne shorter is actually a man who plays a really good soprano saxophone so well right. i still
1: got it right look at mm. me
0: <laughs> 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 all right question number two who was the first female jazz instrumentalist that was signed by blue note records was it A, Barbara Ann Humphrey, B, Karen Large, or C, Billie Holiday?
1: And this is the first female.
0: Female jazz instrumentalist that was signed by Blue Notes Records. Well, Billie
1: Holiday is a vocalist. Yes, good job. So I, I love her, and I know that already. What were the first two names? Barbara Ann Humphrey and Karen Large. Karen Large? <laughs> <laughs> Bella. Sorry. What? I thought I knew that name from somewhere. Oh, you
0: should know that name. <laughs> you should
1: know that name. <laughs> I'm wrong, aren't I?
0: Is it Karen? You're saying?
1: Oh, that's what I said. Okay, no. Karen
0: Large, Dr. Karen Large is, is our the flute professor here at Fishy.
1: It is Barbara <laughs> and
0: Bobby Humphrey.
1: I just went with a name that seemed familiar.
0: <laughs> yes, Dr. Large. No, she is not the first. That'd be cool though. But Barbara Ann Humphrey. I would.
2: I don't know if that would be cool because that would mean that they waited till now
0: that's that's very true yeah. very true yep. all right question number three what is the name of the brass ensemble that features only female musicians primarily as a brass quintet sextet and sometimes up to 10 performers you said you're helping with these these are all brass I mean, questions yeah, what I the know. hell I, mean, <laughs> I like it i like it <laughs> the ma- they mainly play original transcripts new works and some well-known classics hint mary bowden is a member of this group is it a Seraph brass B, Capital City Brass, or C, Chestnut Brass.
1: I don't know any (laughs) of this brass stuff. Why do you know this? Cordy's a trumpet player. Oh, true. Her her fiance is a brass player. Yes.
2: I also played trombone.
1: I did not know that.
2: For, like, all of my youth...
0: (laughs) you Would be proud. I um, didn't know. That. One of them you should know because I play with them. So. I, know. I know. I know it's
1: not B because that's the one you play with. Yes, capital City
0: Brass Quintet. Check us out. <laughs> <laughs> so what shameless was the shameless plug? What yeah. was A and C again? Serif Brass. Serif. Yes, and then Chestnut Brass. Serif Brass. It is Serif uh, Brass. Dang it! Chestnut Brass is also a brass quintet, but they, but they are not all female. But they no. did win a Grammy with my professor, Dr. Moore.
1: So. Look at that.
0: We tied, actually. Did you prepare for a tiebreaker? No, I didn't, so...
2: Tiebreaker, tiebreaker. Do something (laughs) brass-related, (laughs) trombone-related, preferably.
0: Give me one second. Who is the principal trombone of the New York Philharmonic?
2: Oh Oh, dang, I don't know that one,
0: actually. Is it A, John Drew, B, Jason Solomon, or C, Joe Alessi?
1: I guess... I'm going to randomly guess a letter and just hope for the best. I got thirty thirty-three 33% chance. All right. A. Kay. C. It's C. I knew oh. it. When you
2: said it, I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, do I you know Joe? As soon as you said Joe. A. Dr. <laughs> John kidding.
0: Drew is the trombone professor here at FSU. Oh, the gosh. What does it mean picking out the FSU names? <laughs> B. Jason Solomon is the trombone professor at Troy University, my undergrad. Go Trojans. And C is the one and only Joseph Alessi. So mm-hmm. I uh,
1: honestly, uh, FSU faculty from the winds and brass are gonna be like, this string player knows nothing they about us. They <laughs> are. Although
0: it's okay because
2: the cellists always come out. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: they
1: do. They Congrats, do. you win. Yeah. Yay. Welcome to like the Hero Talk Hall of Fame of winners. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. Who All do right. I
2: share this this with?
1: Dr. Von Glan is one one. Ellen's will, uh, Ellen's willed. Yeah, one. she won. So did did Augusta read Thomas? Uh, she won the tiebreaker. Yes, yeah, she did. So, mm. welcome to all those. So, I'm like a Gusty people. Reed Thomas
2: because I won the tiebreaker.
1: Yeah, you're
0: like Gusty. <laughs> I'm
2: going to be like, sure. we're, we're like twins, <laughs> 20s. Besties.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Right. Like we're friends now.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again for speaking with us. And I hope all of y'all out there listening really enjoyed learning about Jury, Uh If y'all, again, have any questions about what we've talked about today, please don't hesitate to ask. We'll be dropping links to... Um, recording of the piece and to the uh, composer and the podcast notes please don't hesitate to give us five stars it really helps a lot and we hope to hear you not to hear you but we hope you tune in in our next episode